So here at the beginning of 2024, I uh, I went on this run of watching a lot of post-apocalyptic films. And it wasn't necessarily something I had planned. I kind of had some other films lined up that I wanted to watch. But I started watching a few, um, and it kind of uh, got me into the genre again. And I say again because I feel like, oh, oh actually, I need to back up. So I'm actually working on some stuff. Uh, I have a creative project I'm working on, uh, some artwork, some some writing, I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. And I've talked to some people about it in the past. And, you know, it, it very much set in a post-apocalyptic setting, right? Like, that's the backdrop for everything. Although, you know, I started to see that that a lot of films and a lot of stories that I've, I've read or, or watched, um, they always kind of seem to fall in the same lane, you know? And I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. I mean, there's got to be some stuff that I still haven't seen, of course. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm pretty versed in, I guess, the more mainstream stuff that uh, that f- films have shown us or, or Hollywood has put out. But I know there's there's still plenty that I haven't seen. That's the big lesson I'm learning here with Film Street. And so I thought, well, all right, let me go back. Let me let me go through the watch list. Let me see what have I kind of set aside of like I need to watch. And I just never got to. So here we are. Um, I started with A Boy and His Dog from 1975, which I'd always heard about, but never quite seen. Um, I'd, I'd probably heard more tale of it than actually what the story was. I got to say, I mean, it's funny. It's from 1975. It takes place in 2024 of all years. And uh, it's about the world after World War Four. Yeah, okay. I mean, the fact that it's based on a story from Harlan Ellison, I figure that gives it some substance, it gives it some weight. Um, but it really is just more fantasy than drama. I mean, it. I, I don't know if it maybe even is classified as a, comedy i suppose i mean it's got elements of it even though it's not not that funny you know it's not that humorous maybe it's a dark comedy um i could just say like watching it now which probably isn't ideal but almost 50 years later trying to watch the film and understand like where it sits in the genre or in film history let's say i mean i can see that from what I've read that it does have uh, it, it is part of the inspiration for Mad Max and George Miller, everything he's done there. But I feel like those films take this and really refine it and get it to the right tone. You know, those films are a weird mix of action and humor and somehow it's dialed in right for those to me. This film, I don't know. I, I don't really, I don't really see it. I mean, the only thing I think is a real strength here is Don Johnson. I mean, he's actually pretty charismatic, and you can see where, even as a young guy, I mean, it it just seemed like, well, this is this is somebody who's going to keep doing stuff. I got to see what else he's going to do, and of course, turn into a TV star, a movie star, and still works to this day. Otherwise, I mean, uh. 
I don't know. I didn't really find a lot remarkable about this film. Maybe because it's one of the first to do it, then that's where it gets a lot of the uh, the uh, acclaim, I guess. Um, I don't even know if acclaim is the right word. It gets it gets put up there with some of the uh, I don't know the pi- pioneering work in this genre. Okay, I even saw somewhere that it influenced uh, the Fallout video game series. So I don't know. I I didn't find it all that entertaining. I guess. But look. So then after that, I followed up with Death Race two thousand, also from nineteen seventy five, and. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call this uh, post-apocalyptic, of course. It's probably more like dystopian lane of science fiction. But um, this one, at least, I I think it kind of gets closer to what I was thinking, where it's violent and it's it's funny. It's got some some comedy in it, and it's pretty dark comedy. And it's a little clearer to see like that was the intention. But it's also got some things it's trying to say. I mean, it's trying to comment on society and the media and the government and how all these dynamics, like they can just chew up people, you know, or run them over, literally, right? I think that's kind of the idea with the film. And so I got to say, this one, it, it's not great in terms of like performances. And I mean, David Carradine's our main character here, Frankenstein. And Sylvester Stallone is in there. There's a few other people you might recognize from like the 70s, 80s era. I and I mean, even the action, like it's it's racing and these weird cars, and yet they all look like go-karts. They don't look like anything that threatening, you know? I mean, if it's coming at you at 80 miles an hour, sure. But just to see it, um, these cars look kind of silly in a way. But I guess the idea here is that it takes a lot of things that were probably happening at the time and really pushes them to 11. And so, you know, the the thing that's funny is I had seen the remake from 2008 with Jason Statham, and I thought, okay, well, I like this. And that is more of an exercise in updating the concept, but giving it a whole different style. Like, it's not... It, it doesn't really have any humor in it. I mean, it is pure, like, action, slightly into, like, a horror film, right? This one's much lighter. I mean, it it, it plays more like we're, we're kind of having fun, even though we are kind of being serious. So, again, it's it's just a different tone is trying to strike. And I think it at least works. I mean, it's it looks old. It looks like a film from the 70s. It hasn't aged very well. But I think a lot of what it's saying or what it's trying to do is still relevant. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I actually like this one a lot more. Um, one thing that was a funny thought that crossed my mind is, you know, there was a video game. I think there were a couple of games like in the mid to late 90s called Carmageddon. You ever play that? Pretty hard to find games, but. I remember playing those and it didn't, it it never occurred to me because I'd never seen this film before. But now that I see the film and I have very clear memories of playing that game, it seemed like 
the game was inspired by this film in some way or in multiple ways. Because part of it is you have these wild cars that you're racing and you're also racking up points by based on how many uh, pedestrians you can hit. And there's like different score, like different levels of points for different types of, uh, what do we call them? Targets. <laughs> so I, I remember that and I thought, oh, now I get it. I just thought, oh, this is some weird demented mind that came up with this game. Ah, okay, I got you. This is based on this film. Most likely. Uh, let's see, what else did I watch? I watched The Quiet Earth from 1985, which, you know, for me, um, those days of going through the video store and, you know, you go into like the different genre sections and there was the sci-fi area. And this was one that always stuck out to me because the cover art, it just seemed like, I, I, I didn't know what this was. I mean, it says The Quiet Earth, so I kind of gathered that, but uh, based on the cover art, I was like, what kind of film is this? This looks so different. You know, compared to stuff that was coming out at the time. You know, we're talking mid to late 80s. This didn't look corny. It didn't look cheesy. It looked like mesmerizing. It looked beautiful even. And so watching the movie now, finally, after all these years, I get to see like, oh, this is actually a really different take on the last man on earth uh, convention, I guess. I mean, we have our main character, Zach, who wakes up, he discovers everybody's gone. It's not like the world has ended. It's just everybody vanished. I mean, things are still where people left them. You know, it wasn't some cataclysm. It wasn't some uh, disaster that happened. It's just everybody just left. And so he spends a little time trying to figure this out and then roaming around, uh, just going places where he normally wouldn't be able to or maybe wouldn't even want to. But now, because nobody's there to stop him, why not? Right. And so there's, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of a freedom that he experiences, I guess, but also, as it goes on, it starts to wear on him. And, and, and he starts to get to a point where he, he even starts to confuse like what's real and what's not, you know, I can imagine. I mean, think about it. Like there was uh, I thought the other good example of this was the I am legend. Uh, I don't want to say remake. I, I mean, I guess it, is it a remake? There was the book, but then the, was it the sixties? Um, uh, with Charlton Heston, the Omega man. I mean, that's the same type of story. I don't think that film's that great. Maybe it was for its time, but it's it doesn't hold up at all. But the I Am Legend with Will Smith, that was one that I thought did a very similar thing and did it pretty well because it shows us how you have to have a little bit of discipline. You have to have a little bit of structure. Even though there's nobody else there to have it for, you still need it for yourself. This film, we see Zach, who kind of runs free for a little while, and it starts to it starts to become apparent like it's probably not the way to go. And so when he meets uh, he meets a woman, and then they meet another man, 
you know, that introduces the, the, I guess, the microcosm of society where you've got the dynamics that change, right, between these three people. Like who believes who, who trusts who, who betrays who, you know, all those kinds of things. And I, it, it was a very interesting look at this kind of um, what, this kind of situation where you you like to think this would be everybody's wish, or I guess some people's wish, like they could just have the whole world to themselves. But when you start to see it play out and you realize, well, you might just end up losing your mind. <laughs> I think that's where this film tries to take us. And, you know, even down to the end of it, which I'm still not sure how I feel about the end. Like, not that I think it was bad. I just, I'm not sure if I really understand it. And I'm no dummy. I mean, it's just more of like, there's different ways you could probably interpret it. And I don't know if I'm interpreting it the right way, if there's a right way. But it's a very interesting ending to a story that, I mean, it plays out pretty slowly. It's, it takes its time. It's very patient. And it lets us sit with this character or these characters as they go, go through this, this circumstance. But that ending, wow. I mean, have you seen The Quiet Earth? What's the deal with that ending? Maybe I missed something. But I, f I feel like not. And so it went from that to uh, another film that came out not too long after. And actually, there's a couple of films. And I mean, these, so I thought, all right, I'm going in the right direction with The Quiet Earth. And then I run up on these two, which look, just by the titles, I kind of figured, okay, these are going to be some oddballs. But Cherry 2000 from 1987 and hell comes to Frogtown. I let's see. I told you. I mean, these are movies that you have to know by those titles what you're getting into. And if you don't, it's probably on you if you don't like the films. And I'd say, I mean, Cherry 2000 again, it's not necessarily like post-apocalypse, but it's set in a world that is different than ours. And there is a I guess halfway through the film you know, we've got Sam who he has this, I don't know, robot, mechanical companion, wife, girlfriend, whatever, Cherry, who malfunctions. And so he's got to go get himself a new toy to play with. This takes place in the year 2017, by the way. <laughs> Isn't that weird? When you watch a science fiction film and it's set in a time in the future and a year in the future, but it's a year that we're all going to probably get to. Like I talked about this with time cop not too long ago. It's like 10 years from now is not going to be what you think it is. And when we get there, we're going to see that. And this film takes place in 2017. So they jump 30 years into the future. Uh, still, it's not far enough. We're going to live another 30 years. We're going to see the world doesn't turn out like you say it's going to turn out. 
Yeah, it's a problem. And it's not just like little films like this or these kind of like low budget films. I mean, like stuff like Blade Runner, stuff like The Terminator. It's it's not a big deal. But to me, it's one of those that sticks with me. It's like, <laughs> we got to 2017. Doesn't look like that. Not even close. So, I mean, that was the first thing. But all right. So, look, we got Sam. He's going to go find the plastic cooch. And he ends up basically having to leave his life, leave the city behind and go out into the rest of the country, which is more of a wasteland, I suppose, to find uh, 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 the, the place where these cherry companions are made. I'm trying to be very nice when I talk about this, by the way, because here's the thing. This film doesn't really play, it, it, as it probably shouldn't, it doesn't draw any conclusions about his characters or their ways or their decisions. But for me, as a viewer, as an adult man, like this just, this whole premise just seems so childish and kind of scummy, you know? And, And the film tries to address that of like, you know, this guy, he's so desperate to replace his plastic woman that maybe he's not understanding like you 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 can just meet a regular a human woman you know (laughs) have a real relationship with a real person instead of chasing this doll around trying to find a new one trying to get that service plan you know i just don't feel like it really leans into that very much it it at least acknowledges it but it still is like hey well just come play with us just come for the ride and I don't know. It's not really a ride that I thought I didn't enjoy it. Like I thought I might, you know, I might've probably had more fun or enjoyed that more when I was a teenager. Cause there are parts of this film that kind of play like it came out of a 15 year old's mind, you know? So, you know, hell comes to Frogtown. It's actually very similar. And, and actually it's probably even more, uh, it's a little more out of pocket. Then Cherry 2000, we got Roddy Piper in this. He plays a character also named Sam. Sam Hell, by the way, as in what in the Sam Hell, I guess. And he is one of the last men on Earth, I I guess. I mean, it's explained like this is set in a world after a nuclear war and all of the fallout, all of the devastation. It's cut down the male population overall by it's like 60% or something like that. So the government, the, the, the remnants of the government or whatever, they've tried to like, they got to get those numbers out. We got to get more men back on the field or back into the world, whatever. So they're trying to basically make more babies. And Sam is at the beginning of the film, they, they discover like he's the, perfect breeding specimen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's where this film is at. I mean, yeah, come on. Like, what 15-year-old just thought these ideas up and got them made into films? So the big part of this film is, like, he's on the run. I almost say on the run. He's on this mission to go to Frogtown. (laughs) And, yeah, it's a town with people that are giant frogs i i i tell you man and it's like this film came out in 1988 
this is not like a film from like the 60s or 70s where it was corny and weird and that's all they could figure out. I was like, no, there were like incredible films coming out by the late 80s, by this time. Films that still, I mean, Die Hard came out this year and Die Hard, I think, still holds up. And it looks, I mean, it doesn't look like a, a contemporary film, but it looks like a very modern, slick film. And this, it looks like something that was like 10 years too late. Like this should have come out in, in the mid to late 70s with a boy and his dog and Death Race. And and yet, look, I, it's not that it's a bad film. I actually had fun with it. I just enjoyed it. But um, it just feels like a weird place for this film. I don't know. If you If you kind of disregard some of that and like, how corny it is and the year it came out, like it should have not been, this film probably should have not even been made if you think about it. But here we are. After that, you know what? Actually, I need to back up. So when I watched A Boy and His Dog, I, when I was looking for it, so I found it in a few different places, um, like the free to stream uh, services. And the first one I went to was Tubi, right? And that was one that I thought, all right, I mean, it, it was the same difference, you know, it's just, I got to watch it. It's going to have some commercials. Fine. So I found it there and I fired it up and, you know, the film, that film came out in 1975. And I thought maybe part of the gimmick was when I pressed play, on Tubi, on a digital streaming service in 2024, the first thing you see is like the uh, the VHS tracking uh, message and then the FBI, uh, what was it, like anti-piracy notice that comes up, right? And then you see like the opening logos or whatever. And I thought, wow, okay, they're really committed to the bit here. I mean, they're really living with this whole vintage video era kind of thing. But I was like, no, that can't, that can't be right. I said, what the hell are they doing here on Tubi? Y'all, Tubi, you're out of your minds. That's really, I mean, you could put anything up there, I suppose. And I'm going to keep that in mind, though, you know. I did end up finding a boy and his dog on uh, what was it on? It was something else. Maybe it was a Pluto or one of these others. Um, and that, I mean, it gave us like the widescreen crisp presentation, which um, made watching that film better. Cause that film does work on that level, right? It visually, it needs that. The next film I saw, I went back to Tubi and I found Neon City from 1991. And I really thought, all right, Let's see what this is about. I fire it up. Same thing. It looks like somebody just threw up an old VHS tape on Tubi. And I don't know how that works. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how those things happen. But that's the only place I could find the film. So that's where I watched it. And I got to say, man, that type of presentation does it no favors. I mean, in terms of the film itself, uh, it's Michael Ironside, it's Vanity, Lyle Alzado, I think this is his last film. And they are, 
a group of people that are trying to make their way across the wasteland in this post-apocalyptic setting. And they're running into different people. They're having these different encounters. Some of them are dangerous. Some of them are related to like the weather, like the, the, the world has just kind of gone off balance, right? And it's just, they're just trying to make their way to like a, a safe haven. And I mean, while the presentation doesn't help anything, uh, if you kind of look past it, just put it aside and just kind of pay attention to the story. I got to say, this one, the story here actually really worked for me. And it doesn't, I mean, some of the acting is not great. Some of the writing is not even great, but the premise of it, you know what I mean? Like the 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 basic concept of it. There's no frog people. There's no... Uh, magic in it there's no aliens there's no you don't even see really what the apocalypse was that happened you just you just see these characters dealing with the situation at hand you even get a few moments where you have some of these characters talking about like what's troubling them you know some of them are are, they're haunted they they they've got trauma right so I, I, I like that it's kind of grounded in that way. Um, I, I wish it looked better. And, and honestly, it kind of looks very TV movie-ish, even, even if it didn't look like an old crappy VHS tape. Like the production, some of the special effects are not great, you know, doesn't hold up so well. But at the same time, I, I like the premise of it. And that's something that I was kind of a surprise because I really, I mean, I got like five minutes into watching this VHS and I was like, oh no, I, I've, made a, I've made a bad move here. But as I kind of let it sit and, and really tried to understand and, and just feel the story, I was like, okay, okay, I, I kind of see this now. This is kind of my level of science fiction. I don't need fancy. I don't need flashy but I do like something that's grounded and real and feels like it has, uh, like it has almost a, like a possibility that this could be the way it works. You know, it doesn't have to be the road necessarily where that is also kind of grim and depressing, but that's probably more the style that I would find more engaging for me, you know? So this kind of works on that level. I mean, it tries to throw in elements of stuff that you feel, you feel is like maybe a little bit copycat-ish. You know, there's a little bit of, there's some elements of like Mad Max type stuff in here. It's very lightweight though. But the core characters in this group, because I think there's like, was it like seven of them? They're all in this big, I guess it's like an RV or a truck. And they're just, you know, trying to, bomb through this wasteland and make it to safety. Look, even the reveal, there's a reveal at the end. And I say reveal, you kind of see it coming. You kind of already know what's happening, but the moment that everything kind of gets like opened up for all the characters to understand, you're like, oh, okay. That it's not wild. It's not totally out of left field. So, I don't know. I kind of liked it. I got to actually say this was a better film than some of the others I just watched. But um, the next one, you know, the next one here, I really thought 
this looked interesting. It's not necessarily post-apocalypse, even though it is set in the future and things have clearly gone wrong for the human race. This is this film called Space Truckers from 1996. And I got about... Mm, I got about 15 minutes into this film and I realized it just hit me. Wait a minute. I've seen this film before. This is one of those that I can see, like I, I watching the film, I legit flashed back to me in 19, I guess 96 and ideas I had, Things that I had either drawn or thought of, you know, as a kid. I mean, I would have been out of high school at this point. But before that, like before 1996, growing up, like things I liked about science fiction and movies about space travel and adventures and all that. You know, I'm a Star Wars era kid, right? So I remember watching the film. I remember it. I was like, dude. This was the kind of stuff that I would have wanted to see in a film all through my teenage years. And it wasn't until I watched it again and I literally, I thought to myself, oh, I know the next scene that's coming. How did I know that? Because I'd seen this film. It was so like buried, buried just way, way back on the back shelf back there in the back of my head. And I... I really had to, I, I actually had to pause the film and just say, wait a minute, how do I know this film? And I said, this can't be, I, I don't remember seeing this film, but I knew the things that were happening. I kept watching it, remembered other scenes. And that's where I thought maybe I'd lost my mind. Watched the whole film. And it, it all came back to me. It just came rushing back to me. With every next scene that came up, I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember this. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Oh, that's right. I do remember this part. That's a weird feeling, you know? You watch a film and it, it, put it this way. I don't think it's a good film. I think it's got a lot of problems. It's cheesy. It feels like something, uh, again, like a teenager would have thought up. And at the time, I would have not been far from being a teenager at that point. So, yeah, okay. It was very relevant to my interest at the time. But here, watching it now, I'm like, well, clearly it's not a great film. But it's so stuck with me. I identified with the, whether it was like the design of the spaceships or the things the characters were saying or just like some of the the camera work in it or the, the, the cinematography in it. I was like, yeah, these are all the things that I think are cool in films. And now of course I feel differently. Like I don't really think that looks so great or comes off so great. But at the time, wow. It's just wild to watch a film like that and just suddenly be reminded that you'd seen the damn thing before. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. I, I, I don't think, you know, Every once in a while, I'll watch something, and I'll be like, I think I've seen this. But I hadn't. It just seems very familiar. Maybe a similar type of story to something I'd seen. This one was like, I, it really took me a, a minute to be like, I, yeah, I have seen this. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily going to count that towards the shriek, you know? 
I did watch it and and I did watch all the way through because I'm like, I, okay, I do remember this film now. Let me see if I really remember it like all the way. Like, do I remember the end of it and all that? I did. So I mean, it doesn't really count, I suppose. Let's, let's not count this one. Other than that, uh, what else? I, I kind of jump forward. I jump forward into more modern films and mostly because... I, I like some things about that era, like the 70s and 80s, and how it approached the post-apocalyptic world or, or backdrop. Into the 90s, it gets a little bit rough because then you start, you know, you, you get filmmakers trying to throw CG in when it probably wasn't ready yet, you know? And it's not really until much later, I mean, probably within the last 10 years, where it starts to really go to the next level in terms of like the production, like it's very convincing. It's very uh, realistic and it doesn't distract you so much. But so, in I mean, in that vein, then uh, a couple of the other films I watched, uh, Cell from 2016, that's the one that's based on the Stephen King book, which I had not read, but, you know, I, I'd kind of put Stephen King as as his novels. I'd, I'd put that kind of a way for a long time now. I'm I'm glad they still are finding ways to make some of his books into films or maybe TV series. But this one I I don't know. I mean I, I think the book probably works better than this film. I, I can't say that for sure of course, but the fact that the film is based on this concept that cell phones, there's something in the signals of the cell phones that's turning everybody into uh, I don't know, not quite zombies, but like just crazy people. I mean, it it's kind of mixing two different uh, like tropes, right? It's like the virus thing, the outbreak type thing with the zombie apocalypse kind of thing. So you've got these characters. It's like, and it's like John Cusack, Samuel Jackson. They, they sort of band together to make it through this uh, apocalypse in progress. And there's a big part of this film that is John Cusack. He's like looking for his family and he ends up finding his son, but then it turns out, Oh, things weren't quite what you thought. And I, I don't know. I didn't feel like it really came off so well. I mean, the biggest thing, honestly, the biggest thing I came out of the film thinking was like, Oh, okay. So Samuel Jackson, you do anything, huh? John Cusack, you'll do anything, huh? And I'm sure the intentions were good, and maybe the book does sell this whole thing. But on the film, uh, I just feel like either some stuff was left out or things just didn't really hit the right way. It didn't seem very memorable, you know? And... As another, maybe as like a double feature in a sense, uh, I watched I Think We're Alone Now from 2018. And that's got Peter Dinklage in it. It's got Al Fanning. And he plays a character that is sort of like The Quiet Earth, where he's um, he's just, he, he's, he finds himself alone in this small town that he's in. And he starts going house to house. He's looking for food. He's taking care of bodies. It's not that everybody disappeared. A lot of people just died. And it's not explained why. 
you assume maybe some kind of virus, but later in the film, we get to a point where Elle Fanning Grace uh, comes into the to the story, and uh, together they they have that moment of trying to understand each other, like trying to trust each other, and then they start to look into like what actually happened. And then they start to just work together, like doing this thing of clearing houses and checking buildings and all that. And you kind of wonder, like, okay, but where's this going? You know, same thing with The Quiet Earth. I mean, you, you have a period in that story where it's not really clear where we're going. And in this film, it at least throws in a real, uh, there's a real left turn in the film. Because, well... I don't I don't I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler but Grace's parents show up. And I say that like in quotes, right? Parents because it's never clear if they are her parents or who they are or what their intentions are really until you get to the very end of the film because basically Dell played by Peter Dinklage, he gets kind of frustrated with this new dynamic. Like he kind of liked life on his own, or at least that's the way it's sort of set up. And so when he meets Grace and then he meets her parents and then their, their wills start to conflict with his, he's like, okay, well I'm out. So he just leaves this whole little setup he'd created for himself. And he knew where things were and how things are. He's like, I'm out. I got to go. I, I go, I'm going somewhere else. They tell him there are people that are still alive somewhere out west or something like that. And he decides to go for it. And uh, he ends up finding something pretty different. And uh, it's kind of a big reveal at the end of the film. So I won't necessarily tell you, but it, it is one of those things where I, again, for whatever reason, it just, for me, it just didn't quite connect. I just, it, not like I didn't understand it, but it's just... It didn't blow my mind, you know. And with Cell, it's the same thing. There's a big moment towards the end of the film, the the way things are with the characters, that you realize, oh, this wasn't at all what I thought it was. And that's what you're supposed to feel, I think. I don't know. You know, I feel like something like that, you have to kind of build up to it. And I don't know if these films really do that so much. They just kind of play out which is fine. But if you really want to blow someone's mind, you've got to really lean hard in one direction and then whip to the other direction. I, I, I think, right? I mean, I'm just going off my own reaction, I suppose, but I, I just feel like that's, that might've been the better move. So the last two films I'll talk about here, um, these are a little bit different also, and they are even more current. Last and First Men from 2020. It's a very different kind of film. It's very abstract. Uh, there's no main characters. There's really not a plot to it. It's it's kind of like the the way I my memory of it at this point is. It's like some entity from the future sending us a message. On what we have to do to save humanity. Does that make sense? I mean. The whole film, it's just this black and white, 
very kind of stark photography or, or footage of, I mean, it could be footage of the clouds, of a statue, of buildings, and it's all narrated by Tilda Swinton. So we just hear her voice. We never see her. We never see anybody. But it's this black and white imagery of these structures and these settings. And it's set up as this is a message from a future, like way in the future. Like I talked about like not going far enough. This is like from like 2 billion years into the future. This message is from life like beyond earth, like beyond mankind as we know it, right? It's like so far evolved and removed from what we know today. But it's a message like being sent back in time of like how we need to save ourselves or protect ourselves or, or, or mind ourselves, you know? It's very unique. I mean, it's, it's very striking. Like it's stuck with me. Even just the, the imagery of it. And so if you're looking for something that's really kind of out of left field, nothing at all uh, mainstream or cliche, uh, this might be a good one. It's very different. It feels more like an art piece, like an art exhibit than a feature film, you know? So... It's definitely uh, something I'd recommend, but again, like you, you're going to be in for something very different, very special. Um, so be ready for that. After that, I saw Vesper, which, um, you know, speaking to how much the visual effects and and all of that kind of stuff has really grown and progressed since what the seventies and eighties and all that. This film. It, it relies on that and sometimes for good, sometimes for not good, you know, like so much of this film, it, the premise is it's about earth, but after a, just a cataclysmic environmental disaster, it, it, meaning that experiments with genetic, uh, uh, like mutations and just genetics in general, have gone awry and they've gone and they're on the loose. They're out into the wild. Right. And so there's no robots in here. There's no aliens. There's no monsters. There's no, um, magic, you know, no, nothing like that. Instead, it's about just our world, but just different and how people from our world, like the world that we know today are having to navigate that like everything down to like plant life and animals and just the surroundings in, in nature have changed and it can be hard to grasp. It can be hard to understand like what, where the dangers are. And I, I'll say this, I mean, this one also, it takes its time. It's a real slow burn. There's not a lot of big like set pieces in it, but sort of like I was talking about the creator a while back. The the impressive thing here is like so much of it is like fully realized. 
you know, the, the world that these characters, that this story takes place in, like the biology of things, of these organisms, of these plants, it's, it's not just like talked about, like you see it and it's imaginative. It's very thoughtful, very, uh, like fleshed out work and uh, the, the design of these things. Like you see, there's a moment where the story is happening, but the camera just holds on these little plants and they're doing this thing where they, I don't know if it's like a pollination process or like a mating process or something, but like the plants are like doing, like they're communicating or they're um, moving with each other, like a dance. And I just thought, oh, one, what film would do that? But also like, look at how, how inventive this is. And it looks real. It looks legit. And and yet, you know, it's not related necessarily to the story as a whole, but it's part of setting up the world. There's a lot of world building that I think has gotten much better in films and TV, everything, and storytelling over the years. And this is one that really benefits from that because I think otherwise, like just the core story of it, like of the the main character and uh, her situation is, is a young girl and she's dealing with her father who's dying, but then there are other people and, and she's trying to like navigate this world, right? And stay alive. And um, that, I mean, that has some interesting moments to it, but it's the way it's kind of executed. It's a little bit, it's a little bit kind of boring, you know? So having this world around it all that is really interesting to just watch, it at least helps. I don't know if it necessarily makes the film great, but at least it makes it a little easier to watch and, and gives you something to kind of pay attention to. So I don't know, that was a pretty, pretty serious run. I don't think I've watched that many films and like I said, I didn't really watch them all, meaning to do them all in the same episode, but there's a lot. And it's interesting to look at that, right? That progression of films that are kind of in this same genre, similar lane, and how things have changed from, you know, almost 50 years ago to today. And whether, whether that even makes a difference, though, you know? If you have top-tier visual effects or action in your film... Does it make it a better film? I think we all know the answer to that. So anyway, um, that's, I, you know, I just want, honestly, I just wanted to see who was the most apocalypse, you know? Not just post-apocalypse, the most apocalypse. Who could bring it the hardest? So <laughs> who wins? Who wins out of all these films? Uh, I don't know. I mean, some of these are really... Um, you know what? Here, hot take, all right? Neon City, there. Worst looking film that I saw, but for me personally, maybe the most attractive premise. It's actually very simple when you boil it down. It's just about people trying to survive and trying to make it to safety. And they don't always all agree, you know? There, I did it. I said it. Worst film, maybe my favorite film. <laughs> anyway, so look, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. That was a lot. Um, if you want to see these films or other films I've talked about, 
filmstreak.com. There's a list that'll take you to IMDb. And uh, you can see all these, rate them, add them to your list, find out where you can watch them, all that stuff. I, I do it for myself, but it's there for you too. So anyway, uh, I'm going to go stay warm and uh, go watch something new. Thank you.